Rumpelstiltskin always says that magic comes with a price. But for this price, you can get a nice piece of jewelry. Use code ONCEPOD for 10% off your first order at Unusual Magic Jewelry on Etsy. Click the link in the description. Hello, and welcome to the Once Again Podcast. We are your hosts, Ashley and Jason. In this episode, we'll be looking at the 1949 Walt Disney Studios film, The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. This is the first episode in our spooky series, celebrating the Halloween films owned by Disney. In this series, we won't be doing a deep analysis of each scene, but rather giving our impressions of the overall film and the songs from the film. We'll also be giving a score to the film and ranking the songs. So grab some candy, sit back, and enjoy the episode. The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad is a 1949 American animated package film produced by Walt Disney Productions, released by RKO Radio Pictures, and directed by Clyde Genomini, Giacchini, and James Alger, with Ben Sharpstein as production supervisor. It was released on October 5th, 1949, and earned 1.625 million worldwide, or just over 18.5 million today. And I tried to find the, the budget for the movie, but I couldn't find it anywhere, so who knows? I'm assuming it was a loss, but yeah, we'll just move on. It is the 11th animated film in the Disney animated canon and consists of two segments. The first, based on the 1908 children's novel, The Wind in the Willows by British author Kenneth Graham. And the second, based on the 1820 short story, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow by American author Washington Irvin. The film is the last of the studio's package era of the 1940s and Disney wouldn't produce another package film until The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh in March of 1977. The story is by Erdman Penny, Winston Hibbler, Joe Rinaldi, Ted Sears, Homer Brightman, Harry Reeves. It was edited by John O. Young and produced by Walt Disney. So let's dive into the two different segments. The Wind in the Willows stars Basil Rathbone as the narrator and policeman, Eric Bloor as J. Thaddeus Toad, J. Pat O'Malley as Cyril Proudbottom, John McClesh as the prosecutor, Colin Campbell as Mole, Campbell Grant as August MacBadger, Claude Allister as Water Rat, and the Rhythmiers, I believe, is they were like the singers, chorus singers yeah. in the background. And then I also just included this because it was a small cast. Uh, Leslie Dennison as Judge and Weasel 1, Edmund Stevens as Weasel 2, and Ollie Wallace as, as Mr. Winky. This segment is based on the novel by Kenneth Graham. The story is set in and around London, England, between June 10th, 1908, and January 1st, 1909. The protagonist, J. 
Thaddeus Toad Esquire is introduced as an incurable adventurer who never counted the cost. As the story's one disturbing element, although he is the wealthy proprietor of the Toad Hall estate, Toad's adventures and positive mania for fads have brought him to the brink of bankruptcy. In a last effort, Toad's friend, Angus MacBadger, volunteers as Toad's bookkeeper to help Toad keep his estate, which is a source of pride for the community. So I just want to start off. I have uh, a couple notes here. I liked the uh, opening narration, and we were asked the question, if you were asked to choose the most fabulous character in English literature, who would it be? Robin Hood, King Arthur, Becky Sharp, Sherlock Holmes, or Oliver Twist, perhaps? Out of, out of that list, who do you think you would pick? Uh, Sherlock Holmes or King Arthur, I think. Like, yeah. I was uh, going to pick one of the two. Like mm. The other three don't really, like Oliver Twist, like eh, Becky Sharp and Robin Hood, eh, just, they, don't, they don't hit home for me the same way that like King Arthur and Sherlock Holmes do. Yeah. And especially for me personally, like just the Britishness, I, like obviously all these characters are British, but something about Robin Hood and Sherlock Holmes, like, or excuse me, uh, King Arthur and Sherlock Holmes really stands out as British to me. Um, well, even you get like, yes, Robin Hood, you get the story every once in a while, you get like remakes of it, but Sherlock Holmes and King Arthur are characters that are constantly in like the public ethos and like in things constantly whether it's even shows about them like they're always in television shows they're always in movies like there's remakes happening all the time exactly and if if you had to pick in overall like you could pick any english literary character uh who do you think is the most fabulous english character (sighs) oh i don't even know to be fair, I'd probably pick Sherlock Holmes anyway in that situation, like without even like a thought. Mm. See, I personally, for me, I, maybe it doesn't really count as literature, literature, but I immediately go to Shakespeare and his plays when I'm thinking of English literature. And I, I, I like Macbeth. I have a personal affinity for Macbeth. I think he's See, one of the most tragic. I would say Shakespeare too, but again, it's not like it's more so Shakespeare himself that is the famous person there not so much his plays like when you think Shakespeare you just think Shakespeare not so much like it's kind of all encompassing fair enough and you know having his plays be timeless and everything he can you know you can set the characters anywhere at any time so I thought you're right but I also wanted to point out in this we kind of get a Well, in this segment, we get a double book opening because first there's a stained glass window of an open book with a candle by it. And then it pans, uh, the camera pans through a library to a book opening. And I was like, classic Disney stuff right there. Yeah. And we do get the book opening later for the Sleepy Hollow segment. So, yes. And I just wanted to ask you, uh, given the size of the postman and the other humans in this in this film, how large could Toad Hall actually be? I honestly don't know. Um, well, well, I mean, when when McBadger answers the door, the postman is like gigantic. So maybe it's like what two feet tall at the highest, six yeah. wide. Yeah, I I do think 
it's so funny to me. I love this kind of environment where humans are like freely interacting with animals. Like, yeah, it's just a complete society of animals have their own society and have their own hall and like regency, I assume, like a full on government that works similar to humans but humans interact with these animals too so yeah and and the humans have the uh overranking government because when mr toad goes on trial like it's a human court yeah. yeah although they obviously do recognize his agency because he's his own attorney so accurate yeah. but one summer day angus mcbadger asks toad's friend ratty a water rat and Molly, a mole, to persuade Toad to give up his latest mania of reckless driving about the countryside in a horse and gypsy cart, which could accumulate a great deal of financial liability in damaged property. Ratty and Molly confront Toad, but are un- unable to change his mind. Toad then sees a motor car for the first time and becomes entranced by the new machine, having been taken over by motor mania and i have here we get the first of two songs from the film the merrily song and i have it short and peppy but forgettable i gave it a five out of ten yeah it's definitely not my favorite i would Mm. say four out of ten it's it's cute i enjoy it like it's better than a lot of the dumbo songs that we've already heard fair enough but you know it's not that great yeah And I also have a note here that Toad's voice reminded me of Stewie Griffin in the early seasons of Family Guy. Okay. Well, Stewie, what you're putting down. Yeah, Stewie was much more British in like the first two seasons of Family Guy, two or three seasons, and it just uh, reminds. Well, it's funny too because I, I I didn't look up the ethnicity of the actors in this film. I assume they're either they're Americans doing British accents or they're whatever, but they kind of had that transatlantic accent that uh, so many people at the time period like to portray. Yeah. To cure Toad of his new mania, Ratty and Molly put Toad under house arrest. However, Toad escapes and is later arrested and charged with car theft. At his trial, Toad represents himself and calls his horse Cyril Proudbottom as his first witness. Cyril testifies that the car which Toad was accused of stealing had already been stolen by a gang of weasels. Toad had entered a tavern where the car was parked and offered to buy the car from the weasels. However, since Toad had no money, he instead offered to trade Toad Hall for the car. The prosecutors and judge show disbelief towards the statement, so Toad then calls the bartender, Mr. Winky, as a witness to the agreement. However, when told by Toad to explain what actually happened, Mr. Winky falsely testifies that Toad had tried to sell him the stolen car. Toad is found guilty on the spot and sentenced to 20 years in the Tower of London. As the months pass, Toad's friends make every effort to appeal his case, but to no avail. And my note here is I love how Mr. Toad was putting on his hat and getting ready to leave the court when Mr. Winky was testifying, like, well, this is all wrapped up. Like, I, I, I proved myself. I just 
like the this toad doesn't even care that he has this great toad hall. Like he was willing to just trade it to some weasels because he wanted a car. You know, it, it's funny. I was sitting there and, and not to get political, but uh, he reminded me a lot of uh, a lot of different eccentric billionaires that we have nowadays who could uh, put their money to good use, but instead want to fly their penis shaped rockets into space. Um <laughs> but like i don't understand like he does realize if he traded toad hall like he wouldn't have money anymore like his money is literally tied up in the hall like yeah because he owns the estate it's estate money like this man is not gonna have money to do anything that he's been doing you know characters like this in uh in film and especially animated film they always somehow land back on their feet. They would, you know, he would have then traded the car for this and traded that for that and gotten everything back in the end, which he kind of does. <laughs> on Christmas Eve, Cyril visits Toad in disguise as his grandmother and helps him escape by giving him a disguise of his own. Toad quickly runs to a railway station and hijacks a 240 steam locomotive and drives out of the station heading toward the riverbank without getting caught by the police on another train. Meanwhile, Angus McBadger discovers that Mr. Winky is the leader of the Weasel Gang and that they have indeed taken over Toad Hall. Mr. Winky himself is in possession of the deed. Knowing that the deed bearing Toad and Mr. Winky's signatures would prove Toad's innocence, the four friends sneak into Toad Hall and take the document after a grueling chase around the estate. And I wrote, Moly crashing into the mirror in the chase scene. He's so cute and he's my favorite character in this scene. Moly is adorable. Yeah. For for most of the movie, he's silent, but uh he does have a few lines, but he's just he's just a cute character. I just I love them bringing into the mansion too. Like we mm-hmm. gotta go through this secret underground passage. It's... Yeah, that only they would know about. Yeah. Yeah. I also, I, I forgot to mention this before, I didn't write it down in my notes, but the water rat, Ratty, he kind of reminded me of, and I'm going to forget their names, but the great mouse detective, Basil, and yeah. I can't remember his assistant, that was supposed to be Watson, but yeah. he looked like a blending of the two of them, like he had features from the I two of them. I do see that, yeah. yeah. The film then ends on New Year's Day with Toad ex- exonerated and regaining his house, while it is implied that Mr. Winky and the Weasels have been arrested and imprisoned. As McBadger, Ratty, and Molly celebrate the new year with a toast to Toad, who they believe has completely reformed, Toad and Cyril recklessly fly on a 1903 Wright Flyer. Toad has not truly reformed and developed a mania for airplanes. I just want to say, new year, new me, new toad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and in the background, this is where the second song in the film is listed as playing. Uh, it's just old Anxiety, like the New Year's Eve yeah. song that ever, um, and it's just credited as a chorus singing it. So there were only two songs in this segment, the Merrily song and old Anxiety. They were fine. You know, nothing great, nothing yeah, terrible. It- it's not, I definitely, the second segment has the better music here. Agreed. <laughs> um, and I, I just, I gave this segment a five out of 10. It's fun and funny, but nothing revolutionary or dramatic enough. I would agree with that. It's kind of, it's your very typical like Disney short, not really anything 
impressive going on, but you know, it uses your typical animated tropes. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, let's move on to the next segment. So the next one is The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, and it is starring Bing Crosby as the narrator, Ichabod Crane, and Brom Bones. And then there's also Pinto Kolvig as Daredevil, Brom's horse, and Ichabod Crane screaming, like when Ichabod screams, he provides the voice. Then there's Clarence Nash as Old Gunpowder, Ichabod's horse, Billy Bletcher as the Headless Horseman, and Mel Blanc in an uncredited role provided Ichabod's laughter. This is the second segment in the film and is based on the original story by Washington Irvin. Although the film introduces the story as Ichabod Crane, later individual releases retain the story's original title as the short story, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, was published in a sketchbook with other stories, not a single volume as pictured in the film. And I wrote down another book opening, more classic Disney. Yeah. And to be clear, the reason we're covering this for Halloween is because of this section of the film, not so much the last section. Yeah, it, it's funny how um, the last one kind of dealt with Christmas, and we have another movie that we're going to cover that also kind of deals with Christmas. <laughs> But stay tuned for that if you haven't figured it out already. <laughs> In October of 1790, Ichabod Crane, a lanky, superstitious, yet charming dandy, arrives in Sleepy Hollow, New York, a small village outside Terrytown that is renowned for its ghostly hauntings to be the town's new schoolmaster. Despite his odd behavior, appearance, and effeminate mannerisms, Ichabod soon wins the hearts of the village's women and forms a good relationship with his students. Brom Bones, the ruggish town hero, does his best to bully Ichabod. And I wrote my notes here. First note is, is Brom Bones a descendant of Gaston? A hundred percent. Like, you cannot tell me these men are not cut from the same cloth. Yeah. Big, strong, you know, dark-haired. Yeah. Strong, strong jaw the you know they they like the women and <laughs> you know they like uh, the women the women don't like them <laughs> often yeah you know they're not they're not who you want to be with uh my one note here is Ichabod it's really nice to his pupils and stuff but it's mostly so he could get dinner at oh, their yeah. houses this man loves to eat even as he is skinny as a beanpole he yeah. loves food that's he's, his character trait is food. Yeah, and he's a very he's a very selfish character. I think that's done purposely so that if you walk away from the film believing something horrible happen, uh, happened to Ichabod, it's like, oh well, he he deserved it then. Yeah, neither him nor Brown are like great people, to be mm. honest. No. And in this opening scene, we also have the song Ichabod Crane. And I wrote uh, this song to me sounds like a 1940s song. It's not bad, but nothing great aside from Bing Crosby's voice. And I give it a 4.5 out of 10. Yeah, it's very, it's catchy in its own way, but it's also literally just a song describing how weird Ichabod Crane is. Hmm. As, oh, sorry. I would ahead. definitely say like five out of 10 for me. Like it's not great. It's catchy. Yeah, it's funny too because uh, Bing Crosby narrates it and is most of the voices. 
And he literally describes Ichabod as a scarecrow. And then when he sings the song, sings, he's like a scarecrow. And I was like, you're, it, it, you know, you didn't have to do that. You're saying the same lines twice. Oh, well. However, Ichabod is very good at ignoring Brahms' taunts and continues to interact with the townspeople. One day, Ichabod meets and falls in love with Katrina von Tassel, the beautiful daughter of the wealthy Baltus von Tassel and Brahms' unofficial fiancé. Despite being obsessed with Katrina's beauty, Ichabod mainly desires to take her family's money for himself. Brahm, who has never been challenged like this, proceeds to compete with the schoolmaster, but Ichabod wins Katrina over at every opportunity. Unbeknownst to both men, Katrina is only using Ichabod to make Bron jealous and force him to try harder for her affections. And my first note here is Katrina's waist. Where are her organs? She doesn't have any. Clearly she's a witch. And that's why all the men want to help her and do literally everything for her. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I grew up reading comics and everything with which over-objectify the female form and everything, but Nothing like this. I mean, it was ridiculous. <laughs> I know her character is probably wearing a corset, but even at that, truly ridiculous. And here we have the song Katrina, which I wrote, it's better than Ichabod and could have been something on the radio for that time period, but very short. So I gave it a 6.5 out of 10. I see what you mean about it being on the radio, possibly. Like mm-hmm. this could easily not be a song from an animated film. Yeah, it's not as specific as Ichabod. So I'm not particularly a fan of the lyrics myself. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. And I I also wrote a note here that Ichabod runs like Sonic the Hedgehog because when he chases after Katrina, his leg, or or even um, what I want to say, the Roadrunner or Wile E. Coyote, his legs do that circle thing. Yeah. And then... I also wrote that Brahm is able to bend a horseshoe with his bare hands. That is a very strong individual. So the two love rivals are invited to the Von Tassel Halloween party. Brahm attempts to get Ichabod to dance with a plump woman instead of Katrina and later attempts to have him fall through a cellar door, but both attempts backfire. While both men dine, Brahm catches Ichabod accidentally knocking the salt shaker over and nervously tossing salt over his shoulder. Discovering Ichabod's weakness is superstition, he decides to sing the tale of the legendary Headless Horseman. And I have here the song, The Headless Horseman. I enjoyed this song the most, and I'll actually add it to my Halloween playlist. I gave it a 7.5 out of 10. I love this song so much. I told you last week when we were recording because I had already watched this movie that I will sing this song to myself all the time. Oh, yeah. It's, just, it's a good song, like yeah. eight out of 10. I love it. It's it's a good, catchy song, good mm-hmm. for the Halloween mood. Uh, I also love how squirrely Ichabod is this entire segment, like just getting just out of the reach of Brahm. Well, they say in the film he has like a natural finesse when it comes to dancing and smoothness and everything. Yeah. You know, it's got to be a spider sense or something because he's just narrowly avoiding everything. I also wrote down, was there a vampire at the party? Because when Brahm is singing the song, 
the one line it cuts to this guy and he's very pale like he, he looks like Nosferatu he has, he's bald he's very pale and I was I like think that was probably the vibe they were trying to go for yeah who knows maybe there was a vampire spooks live in this town very, very possible so I have here the horseman supposedly travels the woods on Halloween each year searching for a living head to replace the one he had lost the only way to escape the ghost is to cross a covered bridge. Everyone else, including Katrina, finds the song amusing, while Ichabod, on the other hand, starts to fear for his life. And uh, you can see how distracted he is because he's putting, I believe it's pepper, on top of a boiled egg. And yeah. he just completely loads it up and then pops Keeps it in his mouth. Up. Yeah. So riding home from the party, Ichabod becomes paranoid of every sound he hears in the dark woods. While traveling through the old cemetery, Ichabod believes he hears the sound of a horse galloping towards him, but discovers the sound is being made by nearby cattails bumping on a log. I wrote down here, we get creepy Disney, the trees, the animals, etc., all drawn in a very creepy way. Everything's very tinted blue in these scenes too. Like even his clothes, like everything's dark muted blue tones throughout these scenes. Like it's meant to be creepy. Mm-hmm. Also, he's whistling the song Katrina to himself as oh. he's yeah, very good. riding through the woods, which yeah. is amusing. I also wrote down that this cartoon really creeped me out as a child and it still makes me nervous today. Like I, I felt a little tension during this part. That's why I really wanted to cover it because I think it's, it's such an iconic, like, short little thing here, but it's creepy. It's Halloween. Mm. Uh, Ichabod and his horse begin to laugh. However, their laughter is cut short by the appearance of the headless horseman, wielding a sword and riding what appears to be Brahm's black horse. After being chased through the dark forest, Ichabod, remembering Brahm's advice, rides across the covered bridge to stop the ghost's pursuit. The horseman stops and throws his flaming head, revealed to be a jack-o'-lantern, right at Ichabod's face, presumably knocking him out. And my note here is that the harsh contrast on how the horseman and his horse are drawn compared to the other characters, it's very simple and yet very detailed. Yeah, it's. I think that's why this it stands out so much as like a short little piece of this film that everybody knows because it's such a quality piece of animation with the haunted the actual headless horseman Mm -hmm. and then the next morning Ichabod's hat is found at the bridge next to the shattered jack-o'-lantern but Ichabod himself is on is nowhere to be found sometime later Brom takes Katrina as his wife rumors begin to spread that Ichabod is still alive married to a wealthy widow in a distant country with children who all look like him. However, the, su- the superstitious people of Sleepy Hollow insist that he has been spirited away by the Headless Horseman. And uh, here's our finale questions here. Was it Brahm or was it actually the Headless Horseman? And is Ichabod dead? What, what are your thoughts here? You know, I never even realized that the horse was like the same horse as a kid. And even to, to I, I, I would have to go back and rewatch it, but I don't remember when Bron was riding his horse, the horse having red eyes and the headless horseman's horse clearly has red eyes. I thought, you know, it's funny because I want to say, no, he's dead, but it's drawn showing that he's with this other woman somewhere else. So yeah, 
I, I guess. I mean, yeah. I want to assume that the headless horseman was in fact the headless horseman, mostly because I think that's creepier. Right. I'd like to think that that's the real thing and that's not Brahm scaring Ichabod off. However, if I assume that, I feel like I have to assume that Ichabod is dead and that that scene was just a this is what could have been kind of scene and that he's not really alive. Yeah, like let's not send the kids home crying. <laughs> like let's let's give them something that could be happy. But yeah, I don't know. I I think uh I think he's dead. I think it really was the headless horseman and this this very short animated film does what it's supposed to do. It creeps you out. I wrote that it has uh humor, good music and creepy. Everything it should be. 8 out of 10. Oh, I can agree with that 100%. Uh, I will say my only add here is that, you know, I think this section is still very relevant to Disney. They use the Headless Horseman for Halloween things. We're not, they're not doing the usual Halloween party the last two years, but typically if they were, the start of the parade is actually kind of eerie considering the rest of the parade is like, it's really not so scary, but Mm. uh, the beginning of the parade actually begins with the Headless Horseman. Uh, kind of clomp, clomping down Main Street really freaking slowly. Mm. And that's it. And the parade's like literally like probably a half a mile back behind him. So you don't see the parade. It's just him. Oh, wow. And everything gets really dark and it's just him. And fun fact, the horse does that all on itself. The guy who plays the Headless Horseman cannot actually see anything. He is, in fact, sightless in the costume. Yeah. So that, horse does it all by itself, walking down. That's a very well-trained horse. <laughs> I, I, I would like to see that. I'm going to have to go down to Disney during Halloween time one of these years. But uh, I'll send you a clip of it because yeah. it's, it doesn't do it justice. But even just seeing like a quick clip of it, it is very eerie especially because the over like the over voice narrator of the parade is like oh on Halloween night the headless horseman is here and then it just gets really quiet and all of a sudden you hear the horse clip-clopping and it just clip-clops down and you're like oh that's terrifying <laughs> yeah well I, I'd like to go see it in person and if you our audience would like to help me go see it subscribe to our patreon page patreon.com slash once again pod and now I just want to go into the, my overall score for the entire film. I gave it a 6.5 out of 10. I enjoyed Ichab- the Ichabod segment much more than Mr. Toad, but overall the film is fine. The headless, the actual part with the headless horseman didn't last as long as I remember it lasting. Like when I was a kid, I, I remember it being like a half hour long that he was chasing him around and everything. Um, but it was still enough to give me the creeps. I do think that scene just comes off as way longer when you're a child. Yeah. It's scary. The idea of some man chasing you with a flaming pumpkin head. Mm. And I didn't, I didn't write this down, but any songs from the overall film that uh, you would think about adding to a Disney playlist or. Uh, Like I said, definitely the headless horseman. Like I was going to rank the songs in order from all on on that. I'm just doing like the four songs that are. Yeah just for this movie, but I would go Headless Horseman, Katrina, Ichabod Crane, and Memory at the end for like I agree. context for I agree. songs are good. Yeah, I agree 100% in that exact order and everything. I think Katrina could be applied to a non-Disney playlist, and the Headless Horseman can go in a Halloween playlist, but yeah, those are, those are the two songs that stand out the most to me, and those are the two that I enjoy the most, and Ichabod and then Merrily. Yeah. 
This has been the Once Again Podcast. Any questions, comments, or critiques can be addressed to either our email at onceagainpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at onceagainpod. We also have an Instagram account, onceagainpod. We will be posting questions and possibly doing some live Q&As on there. If you'd like to contribute to the podcast, we have several tiers available on patreon.com slash onceagainpod. As always, a like, follow, or share would be greatly appreciated. Thank you and have a wonderful day.